Pittsburgh is gonna have the news. Monday, June 8th, 2020. The, uh, the year, the last year, maybe. The first year. Who knows? Uh-huh. Uh, this is Los Angeles Podcast. <laughs> I'm Scott Frazier, and I am here with Alyssa Walker and Hayes Davenport. Um, how are you guys doing? How, is, how has your week been? Good. I and mean, we, we talked last week about that being the most eventful week in LA in recent memory. I would say that has been surpassed yes. by this week. Yes. Uh, I think we have to do it again. Exactly what we did last week. <laughs> go day by day. There's no other way to talk about this and how the George Floyd protests have settled in in Los Angeles and taken a shape that is very specific to this city and yeah. who is responsible for that happening. Uh, it's it's a long story, but we will try and talk about everything here on this show. I'm okay just getting right into it. Are we? Do we want to give a quick recap of just what happened last week? Is that even possible? Does it, either of you want to try and do like a... 30 second summary of last week. I'm having a hard time remembering like what sure. a week is. So Sunday. <laughs> uh, so last week we talked about, um, so we began the week with uh, the decision by local elected officials to begin accelerating the reopening of various industries within Los Angeles uh, that even though, uh, it apparently flew in the face of their own cautionary statements that they, the the mayor, uh, the the de- Department of Public Health for the county, the governor had made in weeks previous. Um, then there was a sudden about face, and they started saying things are going to reopen uh, later in the week. By Wednesday, the uh, the protests that have of course spread all across the country related to police brutality and anti-black racism became a focal point here in Los Angeles as well when a California Highway Patrol ops hit a uh, group or a couple of protesters who were on the 101 freeway here. Uh, Through the weekend, the protest became the uh, preeminent story by far, um, eclipsing what the mayor had anticipated being the launch of his L.A. Alfresco uh, reopening oh. for the restaurants, which I, which would be just like in the dustbin of history, except that the, the relevance. I saw, some, I saw some fresco. I saw some fresco. The, the no, three really? of us, the three of us are not going to let L.A. Alfresco go away. Unfortunately, never before has the not chef's the kiss Garcetti. been more relevant. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in, during the weekend, uh, there there were protests in in downtown and then in the Fairfax district, uh, which resulted in the mayor's decision to call in the National Guard, request National Guard to to deploy to Los Angeles from Governor Gavin Newsom. Curfews went into effect throughout the weekend, and the stage was really set for. Uh, some big developments. That was kind of where we left off. We were just kind of like, well, this the momentum is still growing and we are not sure what will happen next week because um, things seemed tenuous. And now, well, 
I guess we do get into it. I guess we have to get into it. Now we've reached, I feel like this amazing point where there's just like 30 protests a day. Yeah. And you can just go to one near you. And this has happened both Saturday and Sunday of this weekend, which is pretty amazing. And where our media outlets, and we'll talk about media coverage in LA a lot, uh, but where LAist, for example, is providing lists of where the protests are. Yes. And and, it, and tips on how to get there, mm-hmm. you know, just like it's just a reg, it's like Coachella of, uh, you know, yep. social, um, social justice. Including <laughs> a lot of influencers showing up and... Yeah, including people trying to take their pictures. Taking pictures, yeah. yeah. Let's yeah, talk yeah. about Monday. Monday was, like you're saying, Scott, kind of a continuation of the weekend. There were a lot of protests. There were big protests in Hollywood. Uh, there were a ton of arrests at uh, Gower Gulch in Hollywood. Um, a secret fact about this podcast is that Alyssa and I recorded a pilot of a previous incarnation of it that was the joke of it was that it was set at Gower Gulch. All I could think about was you when I when right. I love Gower Gulch. I was like, <laughs> I was like showdown at Gower Gulch, and Hayes would be. So I was happy. there that night, and it was. Um, you were at the Gulch. It fucking sucked. It really. It was <laughs> awful. Um, so we had gone out to. We had gone out to Hollywood in the evening. Um, there was there was coverage that showed that protesters were gathering both at uh, Sunset and Vine and also at Hollywood and Highland. Um, I'm closer to Vine, so we we headed over there uh, with the the standard preparations um, that shouldn't really need to be the standard preparations for a peaceful protest. Apple cider vinegar soaked rags in case the police decide to tear gas you. The mm. padded clothing in case they decide to shoot rubber bullets at you. Um, water bottles with baking soda. These are these are all things that my wife Sarah prepared because she had been out in Fairfax on Saturday and had been, like so many people in this city, victimized by police brutality while attempting to peacefully assemble there. Uh, so, so those were all things that we took with us. We went to, uh, we got to Gower, got off the bus, uh, which we, we saw that there were lots of people around and starting to gather into a a sort of, uh, mass there before that was actually able to happen though. The, uh, police, like several dozen, um, I, I put a picture up on, on Twitter, several dozen, uh, police SUVs came, flooded sunset, uh, separated the protesters on three sides, began forming what I can only describe as like a battalion, um, and then started pushing out at us, pointing guns at people for no evident reason. Most of what we were doing as as protesters was just like yelling at the cops not to shoot us. They did push forward. There was, you know, uh, for me, it was just an experience that was so, it was so violent. Like that, that was the kind of thing that uh, it, it would be described by the news, if at all, as being peaceful. But it, it was, we were the subject of unilateral violence and aggression by the cops, which had no, there, there was just no 
motivating reason that they should have been doing that. It was totally intended to clear us out. They were using the curfew, which was still in effect at that point in time, as an excuse for why we were not allowed to be out there, despite the fact that we were uh, just attempting to exercise our our constitutional right to protest. And then like we, we eventually just had to run because they were attempting to kettle and arrest everybody who showed up. And what exactly was was used that you could see? The the loud booms, it sounds like flashbang grenades, possibly, that the cops were using. Were they using like rubber bullets and stuff as well? So the night that we were out there, they were primarily they had uh they had their uh guns with the rubber bullets. Um I did not see those fired on anybody, um, but uh, they were very aggressive with their uh, nightsticks, which they they lined up. They were basically just pushing up into our faces and saying, "You can't be here. You you can't be here. Clear the area." There were a number of people who had been out at the protest at Saturday, where the rubber bullets were liberally used, and yeah. That was at in the Fairfax area, kind of in the yeah. There the were Fairfax, like the, the one that came out of Pan Pacific Park. That's right. So Back there were these really dramatic, like face to face moments where they were lined up, very much in our space, escal- escalating this confrontation. And people who had been out at the protest on Saturday were like lifting up their shirt and saying. This is what you're doing to us. This is what the rubber bullets do. Like, look at your work. Look at your look at your handiwork. Are you proud? Mayor Garcetti, uh, I think, is notable uh, in talking about these rubber bullets. Stressed that they are not actually made of rubber. They are uh, foam core bullets or something like that. The significant word I think to most people would be bullets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that was that was his response. Yeah, go ahead. So. Uh, so yeah, so they were basically just coming through and uh, using their sticks to uh, beat people back. And for the second time in three days, my my partner Sarah got into a physical confrontation with a cop. This time on Monday, it was because uh, he swung his stick at me and she did not react well to that. Um, so she got into a physical altercation with two police officers before we cleared out of the area. Yeah. But luckily she's like six four, uh, 225, all muscle. <laughs> right. So, <Yeah. laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, that wasn't the only site of unrest uh, around LA. There was uh, a, a lot of action going on in Van Nuys. Yeah. That's where a video went around the internet of a uh, black family that owned a store in Van Nuys who tried to flag down police after their store was looted. This was all covered by a TV news reporter who was on site uh, and watched and tried to stop the police as they arrested the entire family. The owners. And was saying, yes, uh, the business owners. And saying over and over again, this those are not the looters. The looters are running away over there as the police like tried to silence her and saying, it's okay, we're arresting them. We're arresting yeah. them. Like not able to process the fact that this family owned the business and had not just 
robbed it. I haven't seen any comment on that specifically from any elected official or nope. uh, a member of police leadership. No, you'd think that would be a good chance for our council president, Nuri Martinez, who issued several tweets about how bothered she was by people coming to Van Nuys, daring to come to Van Nuys, which is her, her district, district and her her neighborhood. You know, I think she just she grew up there. Or she lived there. I'm not sure. Yeah, she definitely oh, represents that okay. district. Yeah, but she she was making a lot of comments about like it's her her neighborhood, her spot, but yet never made any kind of comment about that, which I felt like was huge. Like you said, national headlines. Yep. This was also a day of unbelievable confusion, self-inflicted over uh, when curfews were actually happening. Oh, this yeah. was also a continuation of the weekend where... The city announced one. The city of LA announced one time. City of Santa Monica, Pasadena, Beverly Hills, and then the county announced a different time. There were accidental all county alerts sent out that were one that was only supposed to apply to the city of Glendale. Accidentally got sent out for the entire county. That was never corrected. Most of these alerts were not sent out in Spanish. Could not have been handled worse. No. The wording also changed from time to time. Mm -hmm. So it would sometimes say that homeless residents would be exempt. Sometimes it would say media would be exempt. Mm -hmm. Then we found out later that some of the messaging was coming from the sheriff's department instead of the county itself. So, and real like aggressive language in some cases, like yep. curfew begins now. Curfew will be enforced now. <laughs> yes, yeah, just all caps, very short. Curfew, 6 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the, the curfews were, the, the curfews were a real revealing moment w within the context of the city, county, um, and, and the smaller cities in, in Los Angeles County's response to uh, what was p largely peaceful uh, demonstrations. Um, Mayor Garcetti, at, at a certain point, we'll, we'll get to this later, I'm sure, made a comparison about how many more people lost their lives during the 1992 unrest mm -hmm. than, uh, obviously, than have during 2020. But you wouldn't know it from from the government response to this. If we look at like cities like Santa Monica and Beverly Hills and West Hollywood, Culver City, all of these West Side cities, higher income, of course, than the uh, the bulk of the city or than the bulk of the region and wider also, they were enacting these curfews that were like enforced from 1 p.m. until 5.30 or 6 a.m. Yeah, 1 p.m. Was, was a few of the days, yeah. Which is almost a total lockdown of the city. You're basically saying if anybody comes into the boundaries of our city, we will arrest you is, is the message that they were trying to promote. Or tries to get home from a job that they went to that morning thinking that they would be working. I mean, I can't even... I, I don't know when we'll find out how many people were actually arrested for violating curfew. There were some stir we disturbing some videos that. That of, yeah, there's some, I don't know if, we'll, I, I, like I've said, I don't know if we'll ever find out across everything. I'm sure right. we will, but there were some videos of um, police like pulling up at a stop sign and seeing some people just walking and starting to shoot at them with their was, rubber bullets or and whatever. And that was yeah. from Monday too. Yeah, that was a Monday. And, dra yeah. and dragging people out of their cars yeah, and Hollywood. Yeah. Cars? Running after I someone mean, on a bike who then gets away. So then they run after somebody else, yeah. just indiscriminately arresting whoever they see. I also want to, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but there were protests later in the week in cities like 
Burbank, which like Glendale and like Santa Monica were sundown towns, not that long ago, like in yeah. the early half of the 20th century. And now we have those same towns essentially saying like a lot of the protesters were black residents of LA who do not live in these predominantly white cities like San Monica, Burbank, Glendale. So it's effectively saying if you do not live here, not even when the sun goes down, when it's lunchtime, yeah. you have you cannot exist right. in this right. city anymore. Yep. It was a huge overreaction. Like you're saying, Scott, if we're making these comparisons to 92, when dozens of people had died at this point, uh, then why are we calling in the National Guard if the situation is so different? Why are we disallowing any visitors to a city after 1 p.m.? Uh, these things, you know, I hope someone will interrogate more in, honestly, the uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission that should come after. Right. How, how and there were some lawsuits. To. The ACLU and a bunch of groups signed on to various lawsuits about curfew. So yes. hopefully. Yes. Uh, we'll talk. That happened later yeah. this week, too. We can talk about that a little bit more. Monday night. We haven't even gotten to the biggest newsmaker of Monday night. Right. Monday night, there was a Garcetti show. Alyssa's drizzling her popcorn with <laughs> olive oil and like a spice mix, getting ready to settle in. So Garcetti speaks, and then he brings up Michael Moore, chief of the LAPD, only about two years into his tenure at this point. Still, still kind of new. Thought of as a, he's always referred to as a data wonk. Uh, and like the face of, the quote new LAPD, a phrase that hopefully will be retired very soon. Uh, and someone like the face of this, like kinder, gentler LAPD who like it is true, has not meaningfully enforced uh, any regulations against police brutality or brought up uh, like the, the many police killings that have happened on his watch, but he gets up and speaks and there's a shorter version of this clip that has been going around for since it, he said it. Uh, but I want to listen to the whole thing. Let's just like play through it uh, and, and talk about what Michael Moore said on Monday night. As for the safety of Los Angeles uh, last night, we saw the full impact of the curfew with our ability to uh, police areas of downtown and particularly, uh, and also the West side, but also the Valley where we saw roving groups of individuals that were not, compliant with the curfew, and we believe we're out to loot and, and prey upon businesses in, in our community. And our officers' actions were able to make, uh, to identify those individuals and make a number of arrests. Last night, just under 700 arrests. And within those 700 arrests were 70 individuals who were either burglarizing or looting, victimizing businesses further. So bragging at the end there that 10% of the yeah. people that were arrested were burglarizing stores, 70 people. I mean, 630 people were arrested for curfew violations. That's yep. consistent with what I saw downtown on Sunday night when as soon as the clock struck six, which is when the curfew started, they started bringing out vans to load as many people into as possible. Also consistent with what Michael Moore said in the newspaper this week, that on Saturday at the Fairfax protest, he considered arresting every single person at that protest. And the reason that they didn't do it was lack of manpower. Not because Data. that's, that's money ball, right? That's what money ball gets you He's doing the math. <laughs> He's like, it's like that gif of the woman with all the equations <laughs> flying around her head. 
Uh, also talking about, I mean, you know, let's look at some of the languages, the language that he uses here. He talks about praying, roving, roving groups. Yeah, roving groups. Uh, praying on businesses, the language of referring to these people as predators, talking about businesses, yep. by the way, and justifying the use of these curfews, basically saying like this allowed us to arrest as many people as possible. And this, this I want to just say, has been a... Uh, this has been a tactic of the LAPDs probably for a very long time. But uh, for as long as I've been going to protests in Los Angeles, which has been um, about seven years now. Uh, and, and I just feel like when there were large-scale protests in, in other cities when... Uh, there was like the the, the non indictment of of the cop who killed Mike Brown uh, after the acquittal of George Zimmerman after the death of Trayvon Martin. There were really big protests in like a ton of cities, but nowhere across the country uh, were there more arrests than in Los Angeles. Not because we had more people out on the streets, or because our protests were demonstrably more violent, or mm-hmm or even destructive than anywhere else, but simply because the LAPD's tactic has been they are willing to abrogate your civil rights if it means that on successive nights they can lock up enough people to sap the momentum of whoever is organizing the protests and just make it stop. And that has been their method of uh, exacting control over the situation. And extracting money, let's be honest. I mean, like the amount of... We've been talking about police overtime, like the the bill that is going to be submitted to the taxpayers, including the people that were arrested for the sheer number of officers that were sent out to like just run around scooping up teens, essentially, and then drive them 15 miles away and hold them for eight hours and then just release them in like way out in like the farther reaches of the city where people don't even know where they are and don't have access to cars and it's a curfew. So there's no Ubers going around. It's incredibly expensive uh, way to do policing. And one might argue that that is part of the point. Let's continue with the part of this. This is just a continuation from what Michael Moore was just saying. And this is the part that got uh, significantly more attention. So what that tells me is that two things. We didn't have protests last night. We had criminal acts. We didn't have people mourning the death of this man, George Floyd. We had people capitalizing. His death is on their hands as much as it is those officers. And that is a strong statement. But I must say that this civil unrest that we're in the midst of, we must turn a corner from, from people who are, we're, who are involved in violence, people who are involved in preying upon others. The actions last night, I am encouraged for Los Angeles, but I was discouraged for Santa Monica and Long Beach. Just listening, it, hearing the whole thing again, your like stomach drops out. Yeah. Several times. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, the central point that he was making both led up to and then underscored with what he said right after was that 
the blood of George Floyd was on the hands of the people that were protesting his death as much as on the officer who killed him and the other officers who watched it happen and did nothing. Said that he understood that he, what he was saying led up to it with like a, a point saying that because 10% of the people who were arrested were looting, were arrested for looting, meant that we didn't have protesters, he said. We had people that were out there committing crimes, even though he just gave numbers showing that 90% of the arrests made, strongly implied, was for curfew violations. Curfew, yeah. He, there is no question that he understood what he was saying, even though he came up after Mayor Garcetti spoke for a little bit. Something like he left the stage, got a talking to from somebody, and then went back out and said that he, quote, misspoke, never offered any evidence that with any credibility that he had meant to say something else. He just said that he misspoke over and over again. And Garcetti used that word as well. And actually, not only did he not provide evidence for it and and not to get too too far ahead but he he actually said in tuesday morning when he joined the police commission that mm-hmm. he, he said I, I realize that uh my apology will never be enough for some people and indicated that he was okay with that basically even if you accept the idea that he misspoke which is, once again, a lie. Absolute lie. But even if you accept that premise, the premise that he is now saying and that Garcetti is saying, what you're saying is that the person who makes a very significant salary to run the entire LAPD got up in front of the entire city and said something that, I mean, to say it would dump gasoline on the protests is, is an understatement. Yeah. Someone who is there to be the face of the LAPD and control what the what's going on in the streets accelerated people's anger dramatically oh, yeah. with his one chance to speak to the entire city. The question of his fitness to serve is not even a, a question after something like that. It is a fireable offense for incompetence. Yeah. Alone. Yeah. And that, and like and that you said, is, that is if you yes. buy the explanation provided. I, of course, these were prepared remarks. He was reading. He was, he was not like speaking off of the top of his head. These were... Which he now says he was, but has not produced any kind of notes of any kind. And if he wasn't speaking with prepared remarks, he should also be fired. He should also be fired. Uh, but like you're saying, the, the, what he said was, uh, if not the, but certainly in the upper echelons of the most inflammatory remarks that you could possibly give... Yep. in this scenario and uh his his response to the protests and to the cause of people being out there has from the first been one in which he has said that first of all all police are not guilty for the actions of individual police officers but that's right protesters however might be guilty for the actions of individual police officers uh, apparently, and then secondarily has um, indicated that he has nothing but faith in the ability for uh, the, the ability as shown through action of the LAPD officers to de-escalate. Um, mm-hmm. 
this is what the chief de-escalating looks like. Why would we trust his uh, evaluation of his staff's ability to de-escalate? Why, like, like you're saying, it is incompetence at such an extreme level that it really doesn't matter whether or not he's telling the truth. He, he needs to be out. The fact that he had a job on Tuesday morning or even late Monday night was the biggest disgrace of both the Garcetti administration and the Moore administration and the LAPD. And it was kind of a, a mask off moment. Like we've, we've talked a lot about on this show of the, the deference of elected officials in LA to law enforcement. This whole process has been absolutely shocking to me. And I, I, I think to a lot of people how deep it goes and exactly how scared they are of, of going up against the police department that they fund and that they oversee. Yeah, that's the running theme of this week. I think the mm-hmm. underlying thread that you will see pop up every day. I mean, it's so that and a, it's also, yeah. um, it, it, I, th- I think it's totally that. But I, I also, when I am, am looking at Garcetti's re- remo- remarks as he is mm-hmm. clear, clearing um, any blame off of the plate of his chief, Michael Moore, you also have to think it, that it is, to a certain extent, unwillingness to to just like completely acknowledge the the failures that have led up to this. Like you are, it, it, I think it is a political instinct that is ill advised and and probably coming from a place that is much more concerned with personal future success uh, for for Garcetti's career than it is concerned with getting the correct outcome, which is an instinct that we really would need our political leaders not to give into right now. Like we need somebody who's actually focused on what is happening to Angelinos in this moment, not what are the impacts of it on them on on themselves. I also don't think it like I agree with you. It was for like personal career preservation, but it was a miscalculation on that front as well. Yes. The number one trending topic in the United States after Michael Moore said that was all caps fire him. That was across. I mean, you know, and Twitter is not the world, but increasingly in L.A. it is. Yeah. Like that. That is that is a reflection of local sentiment in terms of the people who Garcetti is often primarily beholden to. And the fact that he didn't do it, there would, like, there would have been an easy opportunity to say, this is not acceptable in my city. We, are, we need to focus on accountability for our police officers and not equating protesting with the, with the murder of, of citizens. And so I'm taking this opportunity to turn the page on this process and, and, and start rethinking about uh, what the LAPD is. It would have been very easy. It would have been super politically. That's the thing. It viable. would have been the most amazing. It would have been the best in. It really would have been a, a time to listen. Yep. It it took him actually probably a few more days. I have to look at our timeline. It took him two more days to respond in any way, Garcetti, to saying that there would be some changes. But yes, but it took him no been, time to cover it up. Yeah, it t- exactly. Like to turn that into at least a little bit of a spin towards acknowledging the problem would have been, it would have been so easy, but he didn't even take time to think, say like, no. I'm, I'm reviewing this. I'm talking to him about exactly. it. Nope, yes. said, and instantly. Yes. I knew that wasn't what he meant to say. Right. Even as yeah. Michael Moore is saying, that is what I meant to say. And I know what it means. 
this is a good segue into Tuesday morning, a police commission meeting, unlike any I have ever a seen historic. in my entire life. Thank God for Zoom. Yes. Can you, that's what I was going to say too. Like imagine again, imagine, okay, if this, if this hadn't happened during a pandemic, they probably would have canceled all these meetings, right? Because we talked about this last week, like when is city council ever going to come together? Mm-hmm. They'll just be protested out of city council, yeah. you know, <laughs> it'll be amazing. But um, the fact that this meeting was held on Zoom was the best entertainment that you could have experienced the whole week. And, and real, but really, again, you got to see the anger and the, and the frustration and what people were actually saying was really smart. Like what, whatever people, whatever they're, they're getting their scripts, their talking points. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was, it was a remarkable moment. Uh, Just for some context on police commission meetings, they, they happen weekly. People go in the like pre-pandemic times, people would go consistently uh, advocates uh, against police violence would go stop LAPD spying. Other groups uh, would go and yell at the police commission and the police chief about police brutality. Um, And we'll get more to uh, in this episode about the role of the people that have been doing this work forever, because that's really, really, really important to what happened this week. Not to say that it hasn't happened before, right? Yes. But... This was different. What happened at the police commission was different. And what happened at the city council meeting the, uh, the same day and the next day was different, uh, which is that people were, a lot of people were calling in who clearly, clearly had never called into any kind of public meeting before. I think a lot of this, most of it, is the effect of social media on what has happened this week. Uh, Instagram in particular, uh, absolutely was lit on fire with graphics and saying, here's who you call, here's what you say. And people took the opportunity, knowing that a lot of people were going to be watching to really like put their back into what they were saying and like give a great <laughs> performance. Plus those influencers, they really showed yeah. up. I love, I, I, I just want to say shout out to the media of 15 years ago, running all of those pieces about, slacktivism because they were not prepared for social media to become a knife wetted against them. (laughs) (laughs) Let's play. I mean, we got to play one. Yeah. Uh, Let's play the, the police commission public commenter that uh, (laughs) hatched a thousand memes. Black Lives Matter defund the police. I find it disgusting that the LAPD is slaughtering peaceful protesters on the street. I had two friends go to the protest in Beverly Hills a couple of days ago, and the protest was peaceful until the police showed up with their excessive violent force shooting rubber bullets and throwing tear gas. Is this what you think of protecting and serving? Because I think it's bullshit. Fuck you, Michael Moore. I refuse to call you an officer or a chief because you don't deserve those titles. You are a disgrace. Suck my dick and choke on it. I yield my time. Fuck you. Uh, the sign off is a thing of like absolute like Renaissance art beauty. <laughs> uh, it, uh, it, it became Scott. I think you said this. It see so many people in like future council meetings and in that police commission meeting started saying, I yield my time yield at the time. end of their comments. I think some thinking that you were supposed to say that. That's so fun. I mean, he, the, the, absolutely the 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 perfect timing the the fact that every time you think that this commenter has like 
topped out in intensity, <laughs> he just finds another gear somehow. <laughs> it's it's amazing. I'm laughing just thinking about it. We didn't even listen to best, it just now. So many, yeah. so many people put I yield my time in their like Twitter yes. usernames. I mean, it was like it was everybody was sharing it. Everybody was talking. It was so great. It was so great. It rocks. And as someone who has watched a lot of these meetings, seeing the community show up in this way, which is the most impactful way you can communicate your feelings to city government. You take it right to their faces. Yep. You tell them to look at you because they will, they will be looking down and you just say like, you can't even look at me like that kind of thing. It really <laughs> works. It, it had, and this week it had just an incalculable effect. There were tens of thousands of people watching this, uh, yeah. watching this police commission meeting. My God, mm -hmm. they, they probably average about a dozen people in attendance, including uh, black, black lives matter who always are, are there. Yep. Um, but like we, I don't, I, it's, it's so strange. Like when you go on Twitter on Tuesday morning and you see that not just in LA, but in the entire country, <laughs> Los Angeles police commission is a trending topic. Yeah. And um, people are watching, which here's how unprepared for that level of attention they were. They didn't buy the premium zoom tier right, that would allow right. people to actually be in the meeting. It topped right. out yes. at, I think 100 or maybe Five, they did 500. do that on purpose. Maybe they and and people were to. were hosting other streams on like Twitch yeah. and YouTube yeah, and stuff. Yeah, that was so great. Yeah, there were so many other places to watch it. I saw people live streaming just their own TVs, just holding yeah. their <laughs> phone up to the TV. <laughs> it, I mean, it was so incredible and extremely moving uh, in a lot of ways. And at the same, this was also happening at the uh, the city council meeting, which was happening at the same time. And in public comment, people were calling in. And you heard people uh, calling him Mayor Garchetti, for example, like a lot. People who have like seen The Wire, but maybe not been super in touch with like local politics. <laughs> and I thought, I mean, it's amazing. I thought that was awesome because people yeah. who are getting yeah. engaged on this uh, yeah. without having done it before. This was also when you started to see the city council pipe up about, uh, about what was happening not so much about the recent police brutality in response to the protest that came later, but about the legacy of police violence related to the LAPD. We talked about this last week in our episode about how they were doing like these extraordinary contortions to not mention the LAPD to mm -hmm. talk about George Floyd, to talk about systemic racism, generally not going to touch the LAPD. But Tuesday was the day Mike Bonin, Councilmember Mike Bonin, mentioned Brendan Glenn, uh, who was murdered by police in his district. And actually, there was a recommendation by Chief of Police Charlie Beck in 2015 to prosecute the officer, which DA Jackie Lacey declined to do. And Marquise Harris-Dawson, who represents Council District 8, uh, talked about uh, Africa. Charlie Kunang in, uh, the, in Skid Row, an unhoused man in Skid Row, uh, who got in an altercation over a tent and police came in and shot him and killed him also in uh, 2015. That may not seem like a big deal. It may seem very obvious to like when police murder someone in the city that you represent to talk about that in a critical way. In LA, it is significant. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to say too, just like 
on since we're since we're still on Tuesday, just to give an indication of how abruptly we're about to see things change. Tuesday, yeah. Tuesday morning, when when City Hall, uh, when City Council met uh, for their meeting, they opened that with uh, again for however many meetings in a row. Uh, about 45 minutes of public comment all directed towards the issue of the budget and the um, the decision by uh, the mayor and by city council to allow a budget to go into effect that gives the police raises and allows them 54% of the discretionary general fund dollars that are available. Uh, that, that conversation was actually preceded by Paul Krikorian, who heads the budget committee, pushing back really sharply following a, yep. a major uh, weekend's worth of uprising across the city about this issue of funding the police, uh, where Paul Krikorian of the second district said, we don't budget by hashtag and was yep. completely dismissive of the people's budget, defund the police, et cetera. Every, all of these concerns, he dismissed them in a single sentence. And Nuri Martinez, council president, did likewise. Yep. That that would change in the, the rest of the week. But by Tuesday morning, that was as yet unchanged. No indication either that it was going to change. And in fact, the, the opposite. It seemed like that they were going to hold their ground on this. Total Same day. Yeah. Yeah, Tuesday, midday, uh, there was a massive protest organized by YG. As we're recording this, he is organizing another protest on Sunday uh, in Hollywood. But uh, this protest was also in Hollywood. Uh, I got sort of inadvertently caught up in it, to be honest. I was uh, had been like running pretty hot over the previous days and like decided to just like take a drive to the beach just to like see it and like try to try to cool down kind of. And the short story is 90 minutes later, I was completely surrounded by about a hundred police officers. <laughs> uh, but I, so I got to Hollywood and I was driving uh, along Hollywood Boulevard, got to Hollywood and Western and the very, very beginning of a group of protesters starts coming up Western and they turn left onto Hollywood and they're taking up the entire street. So I am completely stuck. I have nowhere to go. And I watched for 45 minutes, maybe something like that, yeah. as this group of thousands and thousands of very young people marches along Hollywood Boulevard. It was extraordinarily beautiful. I got to like, there was a Metro bus that pulled up and like everyone was working to like help the Metro bus turn right to like get through the traffic and like get out. And like the bus driver I talked to him was like so cool about it. And like, just trying to figure out a way to like let the protesters continue to go through just like the image of that many people being able to see them all just stream in front of you was so incredible. I decided to follow the pro once it finally ended, I decided to follow the, 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 the tail end of the protest. It turned out that there were actually some more people behind me, but followed for a few blocks, got to Hollywood and vine and then I hear, like you said, Scott, very loud bangs and all the protesters who have been walking ahead of me start running towards me yeah, and just streaming on either side of my car. People are screaming and crying and really, really scared. I see a big cloud of smoke in the distance uh, and someone says that they've started shooting rubber bullets 
And very, very soon after, I don't know what prompted it. Maybe, a, I mean, like basically I heard people saying that like a window got broken essentially. Uh-huh. What, uh, what time of day yeah. was that? At this point, it's probably 2 p.m. Yeah. So that was, that protest actually then came down and met up with the protest that I was at, which was in front of yep. the mayor's house. It and, did. Yeah. Yes. Which was uh, a protest that was organized by Black Lives Matter. It was yes. kept completely under wraps. And they did a very good job of getting Incredible. a huge, huge number, I would say thousands of people in front of uh, the Getty House, which is where the, the mayor lives, the mayoral mansion. Mm-hmm. Garcetti was not there. He was downtown. Um, but just like the image of all of these people peacefully protesting outside of Garcetti's house. They did an incredible job of establishing a buffer of mostly white protesters, certainly non-black protesters in between mm-hmm. the core where the BLM group was and where the line of police came up. The police brought in so many buses, but realized that yep. there was just no way that they were going to be able to arrest everybody that was there. And they were not, they were not Metro buses, by the way, they were, they were right. sheriff's buses. Sheriff's buses. Yeah. Um, and Maybe they got the message. I, I was, I, I honestly feel like, so the, this was reported as like, okay, we're protesting the mayor, but the mayor is not here. But mm-hmm. the way that I look at it as somebody who was part, part of this protest is why is the mayor not here? He yeah. was doing a, a different photo op with a variety of like clergy people at that time. Mm-hmm. And like, n- just like his unwillingness to face Black Lives Matter protesters, which has been a constant during the course of his entire time in uh, as the mayor of the city, is pretty remarkable. Herb Wesson yep. was there. Herb Re- Wesson came to Garcetti's house. Um, mm-hmm. right. One of, in like one of the most surreal moments for me, after the fact, watching the coverage of this, there was a uh, a moment that went sort of viral where one of Garcetti's neighbors in fucking yeah. Windsor Square was, was interviewed oh, he was so by good. an anchor and spoke very cogently about yes. why people were protesting in front of the mayor's house. And Garcetti doesn't even have like the stomach to, to face those people. He has and to be somewhere said- else. Anything like that. Yeah, there was a moment in that. So we we kind of watched and I, I, you know, as someone who has two small kids, one of which is going back to his childcare situation in, in a week, I'm, I can't, I feel really guilty that I can't be out there or have them out there. And I, I, I've watched so um, closely on the local news, which has become my obsession to yeah. watch, like switch between the channels and see how see how the coverage is changing. And this was like a real pivotal moment because I feel like you've had nothing wrong that day. I mean, you probably saw the, you know, flashbangs or whatever, like you Mm -hmm. saw those things happening, but there were no real issues. That was the day there was no looting. There was nothing, Mm -hmm. nothing to complain about from an anchor perspective. Um, So that you saw them really cycling through their language and being like, oh, I guess we're just, uh, just seeing them walking. Oh, I, oh, let's talk to some of the protesters, see what they, what they want to, want to say. And, um, having it kind of culminate with this really beautiful moment outside the mayor's house. And like you said, it had come from the other direction. Uh, people were told to meet up at a park that was just on the other side of Wilshire, on the South side of Wilshire. Um, they got trained in all these ways to protest peacefully and de-escalation and all these things that you were going to do when you got there. And it really, you could tell it was like, 
this moment with people streaming up from the street and coming down from Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And the anchors were just kind of losing their minds because Mm -hmm. it was like the most beautiful and symbolic and peaceful moment. And they really could say nothing bad whatsoever, even though some of the networks were still really trying to make it. And then at the same time too, the mayor, you know, was supposed, was scheduled for his 515 show, which is Mm -hmm. the normal time, but there was a 6 PM curfew after all the confusion we'd been through. And then he moved his show to 6 PM. And I thought there was going to be a moment when he was going to come to the Getty house and see everybody there and do the show there somehow, or do some kind of like acknowledgement. And again, it didn't happen. Did it was happen. more like a 6 p.m. thing, like it's curfew, guys, go home mm-hmm. kind of moment, right? That was a a hugely important moment, the Garcetti protest. And I want to talk about that more. But do, do you know who the neighbor, just in proof that there's only like 40 or 50 people in the world, do you know who the neighbor was, Garcetti's neighbor who was on television? No. His name is Andy Goodman. He's the husband of Carolyn Ramsey, who was who ran against David Rue in the Council District 4 election in uh, 2015 and lost. The wow. former chief of staff to Tom LeBond. Tom so LeBond. again, oh, wow. lest you think that there are more than that number of people just like who exist in the world. <laughs> very, very tiny. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about the Tuesday protest, and this is like a segue into Wednesday as well. Let's talk about the importance of the people who are organizing these protests and exactly the intention with which these protests are being organized. One of these people is YG, who uh, I encourage people to go back and read something we talked about on the show, which was written by Sara Saliman about the uh, in Streets Blog about the importance of Nipsey Hussle to Los Angeles when uh, when he was alive. And I think this is a good time for people to also start educating themselves, people who don't know about what YG means. Uh, You hear his music up and down every one of these protests, in particular a song he did called Fuck Donald Trump, which has been has been very, very meaningful in L.A. He's one. The other is Black Lives Matter L.A. Like you said, Alyssa, they are holding these protests and in particular the uh the what's becoming the face of this movement Dr. Melina Abdullah as a way to educate people not just on how to protest but on what has been happening in LA and who exactly to blame for it she is and black lives matter LA are wielding groups of tens of thousands of people like a scalpel yeah they they're taking thousands of people on a tour of the city And they're saying, tonight we're going to Eric Garcetti's house and we're going to explain his role in this. Tomorrow, on Wednesday, we're going to DA Jackie Lacey's office. And we're going to tell you, we're going to tell you (laughs) how her, the role that she has played in letting police officers literally get away with murder. Because they have been out there every week. Every week. For years. And a very small group. Sorry, I've been, I've been uh, crying about this all week. Yeah. I never went. I never went to one of those uh, protests. I've been out there every single week talking about Jackie Lacey. And to see how many people were out in that same protest and how Black Lives Matter has not said in this moment what they could say, which is, where were you then? Yeah. Where were people like, like me before when we were telling you what was happening? They're saying, we welcome you. And they were ready this whole time. They were ready and doing it to receive people and, and show them what's been going on. They were always right. 
they never stopped. Melina Abdullah did an interview on CNN where she was asked, what happened to Black Lives Matter? Where did they go? What? And she immediately, yes, that happened. And she immediately put the interviewer in check and said, we have not gone anywhere. We have been doing this every single week. The question is, where did you go? Yeah. Where did the media go? We have been telling you this entire time. And now when attention is on it, they are so graciously, so graciously letting new people become a part of this movement and helping them, helping the momentum be maintained like that moment and saying, God, for that many people to show up to the Jackie Lacey protests and to stand behind Black Lives Matter LA and how many groups, Churla uh, that deals with immigrant rights, Lane that deals with labor rights, the community coalition in South LA, but the the kind of like put uh, this, this group together, all of them in this moment are standing so fully behind Black Lives Matter. These are very, very connected nonprofits. They hold galas. They are super, super tied in with the very highest levels of city government. They it could absolutely, you could predict that they would be more deferential to city leaders in this moment. But they are mobilizing. They are stepping up so hard to keep this thing going. The solidarity in this city right now is unbelievable. Yeah, it really is. I, I mean, the 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 thing that is so striking to me. Um, I was I was just saying this on. Um, I was I was on in the red, which is a podcast run by a friends of ours, uh, Josh Androsky and David Jetty. I was saying there that one of the things that has always been striking to me about Black Lives Matter for as long as I've been attending their uh, protests about seven years now is the incredible message discipline that they have, the the dedication to fundamentals of organizing. Um, Melina Abdullah, Patrice Colors, the, the, these women are students of historical movements and apply... I, I mean, Melina Abdullah is a professor at, at Cal State LA, which is mm-hmm. uh, a school that I attended as well. They really have a rigorous approach to what it takes to create change. And they are, uh, they are fully bought into achieving that. And so yeah, they've been out there every week, they've been doing, they've been doing the same things in the same way, trying to bring new people into the fold. I feel like that is, I actually have no doubt that that is a big part of why Los Angeles is one of the places that we have seen these protests bloom into something so productive, uh, into something that is not just a demonstration of, uh, of anguish and mm-hmm. pain, but is actually on the precipice of forcing change, forcing uh, the doors of power open. And I feel like that is in large part because of the groundwork that has been laid by Black Lives Matter in particular and, and other organizations around the city. We have seen, and we've talked about on this show, the incredible upswell in in the number of movements organizing around different, uh, around different causes, um, anti-poverty advocates, uh, pro, pro-homeless rights advocates, uh, anti-policing, anti- uh, the the Stop LEPD spying coalition groups that 
work nebulously within the same area of popular empowerment, but could remain discreet for all that. Uh, And we're seeing them come together in a way that is incredibly powerful. And the established structures of, of... the political class in Los Angeles do not know how to respond to that. I think no. that, that that has become extremely clear this week. We so, so we're 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 moving into Wednesday now. That's when the Jackie Lacey protest was. This was also the day that, in terms of curfews, on Tuesday also un- unleashed confusion about curfews and the like. To say like mixed messages, I mean like every message was completely different about when the curfews were happening. There was no clarity about it whatsoever. But on Wednesday was when Sheriff Alex Villanueva, who had been sort of sitting in the cut for a lot of the... As people were focusing on LAPD, I, I'm sure he was probably relieved as one of the most uh, venal and incompetent faces of law enforcement yeah. in the country that his department wasn't getting as much attention. Yeah, he's like, he's like, I just, I haven't, I haven't gotten any airtime and yeah. I... I kind of want to get up and like vaguely threaten everybody just to, just to remember me guys. Like, come on. So what did he say, Alyssa? (laughs) He made, there was first a strange statement. I don't know if you have it in front of you, but it was kind of like, this was the day too, where they got control of the, the emergency uh, messaging, right? Or was it to where it said, it, it was like, we're going to keep the curfew at nine until everyone pays attention or everyone obeys it, whatever. He said, we're, we're, we want to reward good behavior. Yeah. And so it was kind <laughs> right. of like the beatings will continue until morale improves. Yeah. Literally, yeah. literally. Literally. And then, and then that was the day that a message went out that said, you know, LA Sheriff's Department will start enforcing the curfew, you know, giving like, so there was a lot of confusion about, is it, is it nine? Is it 10? Is it six? Is it five? Whatever. But they put that they were going to be enforcing it at a certain time, which was very new. That was mm-hmm. like a, a very like, you know, a different kind of threat than what we had um, noticed before. So everybody was a little bit on edge, I think, um, at this point, too. There was also a, there was another council meeting on Wednesday. Wednesday. I mean, this was like big Wednesday. The Wednesday, as we're getting into this, this was the biggest, most eventful day. And you're like, wow, you just talked about Monday and Tuesday. It sounded like a lot of stuff happened on Tuesday. <laughs> We've already spent one hour talking yes. about Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday, Wednesday was huge. Please just like settle in <laughs> because this day was like absolutely gargantuan. Another council meeting at City Hall led off with, with like a lot of the same sentiments as the day before. They sounded very aggrieved about the treatment that they had been receiving on social media and from people calling in. Nuri Martinez talked about the abuse she has been receiving from uh, callers and on social media. Uh, it sounded choked up about it. Like it was really starting to affect her. There was not a lot of conversation about police funding on this day. But what did come up, was something we have been talking about on the show for a long time, is the re-legalization of street vending. Street vending, uh, Alyssa, you can speak to this uh, history, but it was one of the first acts of the city council after uh, the COVID pandemic was to make street vending illegal. Right, and what was coming up too, and so when we talked about this before, was with the Alfresco mm-hmm. um, movement coming up that it didn't really make an allowance or really mention street vendors. We had so many groups that were raising hell because it was... Uh, it was a complete oversight of this large group of people who are doing the same thing yep. on city streets, but we're being acknowledged. And then street vending fees were set to go up next month. So 
there was this agreement, which I think is good and should have come earlier that they can return to work. Yeah. And and they're going to change the fee structure. It sounds like they're going to make it free. Yeah. But I don't know. When does that happen? Do they, are they giving money back though to the people? I don't know yes. if that part is right. Okay. So that's great news. I mean, that's yeah. a, a huge win. And, and again, this huge coalition of, that you mentioned before, um, of people that are now aligned behind this entire movement, people um, from like the Healthy LA Coalition and people like Inclusive Action for the City, all these groups, um, a huge, a huge victory for them on this day to kind of kick things off at, for what would be like a bunch of other announcements that would happen that day. Yes. This specific advocacy around street vendors is led by Rudy Espinoza and his group uh, Inclusive Action that, that he has been a guest on the show talking about this issue when vending was first legalized back in 2018. What happened on Wednesday specifically was Councilmember Joe Buscaino, former LAPD officer, has been wearing his LAPD uniform on Zoom calls in recent weeks. Filed a did motion. Did he wear it on Wednesday? Did he wear it he on Wednesday? He did not. He, he has not, not worn Wednesday. it in the last week. Must nice have been to the dry move. cleaners. I know. I was only listening in the. He was loaning it to someone who you know needed to. Yeah. Wow. Somebody who got uh, blood on their other blood one. on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't want to say it. <laughs> uh, so Joe Buscaino, all council members have their one soft spot and like one issue where they're you're like oh that's weird they're good about this paul krikorian has been advocating for like a public wi-fi program for a while and you're like what the fuck <laughs> but joe buscainos is legalizing street vending he was there long before a lot of other council members and leading the charge in 2017 this guy in outdoor dining i don't really know but exactly yet he, but yeah but that's what i'm saying like he yet he authored the bill to do the alfresco and he right. didn't include them did in not that? include them i mean did not include them but in this case he did file the motion to re-legalize street vending refund all the permits that have been uh purchased so far and make the new permitting process free but while they will eventually do this it did not, there could have been action on the day that the motion was filed and there wasn't, it was kicked back to committee. So as of right now, street vending remains illegal in the, in the city of Los Angeles. And as Doug Smith from public council pointed out, has been doing a lot of work on this street vending is subsistence living there. It yes. is urgent that people yeah. be able to do this work and make as much money as possible. They are still working, but they're being shoveled around the city by police as they well, that's do something else, something yes. important to note with um, the only mayor that's doing a worse job than Garcetti, Mayor Bill de Blasio, announced in his reforms was that um, NYPD officers can no longer address uh, street vending complaints, which I thought was an amazing Huge. move and a bit could be a really smart addition to whatever these groups are demanding from council as well. Yeah. The rest of the the food service industry in Los Angeles, restaurants uh, get regulated by the health department. Yeah, they don't have the police department Yeah, Health inspectors don't carry door. guns yeah. and handcuffs. Yeah. yeah. So the meeting ends, essentially, and out of nowhere, a motion comes down the pipe filed by a group of city councilors led by Nuri Martinez to defund the police, not by a huge amount, but by the range they gave was between $100 million and $150 million. This was a group, Nuri Martinez, Monica Rodriguez, Herb Wesson, and Curran Price. It was seconded by Paul, Paul Krikorian. This was not a likely group 
no. of council members to be pushing on this issue. We've talked about how there's kind of a new emerging progressive wing led by council member Mike Bonin and, and Marquise Harris Dawson. They were not on this list. I think by design by some council members that are probably frustrated with some of the advocacy they've been doing over the last few days. They, I think they were just probably not involved in this particular process because they would have co-signed it and, and did afterwards. But this group putting forward this motion, a lot of people who have not been studying LA for a long, like you know, paying attention to what's going on in LA for a long time were kind of immediately dismissive and they weren't wrong to be dismissive because it's 3% of the budget. It's not a huge amount of money. But people that watch every council meeting, people like uh, Michael Kohlhaas on Twitter that like look at every motion understood that this was a massive, massive, massive shift in city government and decades of budget orthodoxy that says you have to expand and expand and expand the police department at every possible opportunity. I mean, the question of, of the, yeah. uh, the question of funding levels for the police is not even a topic for discussion that is ever broached. Nope. It is a huge mm -hmm. it is a huge shift in terms of of rhetoric. Uh it also does underscore just I mean I mean the fact that you can get the the council members that you named on a motion to uh to adjust in any measure downward, the amount of money that we're allocating to police should also be an indication of exactly how politically toxic the mayor's proposed budget actually was. I mean, the, the fact that mm -hmm. they, they're they like, okay, we have to bite the bullet and do this is, is an indication that this is... It's a, it was a bad budget. It was a bad budget to start with. Um, and I don't believe that anybody advocating for defunding the police is going to be like really that receptive to this, like you were saying, Hayes, uh, because right. it, it it essentially holds at the previous year's level what we would be paying to the, the police. It might not even cover all of it. So the overall police budget was increased by $123 million, which includes some uh, cuts to um, civilian salaries that were furloughed. But the overall increase is $123 million out of, like that's built on 144 million in police salaries being increased and the low range of the cuts is a hundred million. So it might not even go back uh, based on this motion to, uh, to 2019 levels. Mm. And so black lives matter LA and uh, uh, people's budget and other coalitions are saying, and this was actually when all these like very connected nonprofits popped up as well saying this is not enough, but they also did a little celebrating, rightfully so, at getting council members to do something that I don't think anyone thought they would do, certainly not this early and this suddenly. And even like yeah. Nuri, Nuri Martinez's statement, along with the motion, was a big deal. Uh, it said, our budget is just one aspect of change. If we are going to finally end the sin of racism and all of its illogical, dehumanizing, and sometimes deadly consequences, including in our police department then we have to provide real solutions for real people who need our assistance. Granted, this was after literal weeks of saying that they did not have to do that. Yeah. Like years. Uh, even. But yes. Uh, but saying that was such a radical 180 from the rhetoric of the previous day. I mean, it was 
absolutely head spinning. And it was also so symbolic because so that meeting's wrapping up. People are coming down for the regular, the weekly, as you mentioned, uh, you know, rally outside of Jackie Lacey's office. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an interview with her that was on ABC Seven, where she's, I think, in her office. I couldn't tell if she was in her office or at home. Yeah, either sounded way, like had, she like, was bad, in her office. It was, yeah, it was bad art on the wall and stuff behind her. I don't know if it's like where it was, but. She actually calls them a mob, which yep. was your first big red flag of the conversation. And then kind of gets choked up and is like, I wish things were different. I wish I could talk to them. She's had every Wednesday to talk yep. to them, <laughs> which was, you know, that part didn't come up in the in the conversation. And you have this like building momentum where more and more people are coming from different parts of protests and or different protests in different parts of the city kind of streaming downtown. And then uh, it, at the same time, you also have this back and forth between um, the mayor and the police protective league. What mm-hmm. is it called? LA? Yeah. Do people say PBL. LA PPL or whatever. Um, having this like bizarre back and forth of statements and uh, pointing fingers at each other, which was also like, like bringing up the drama. Yeah, that started right away. The Police Protective League, as soon as the motion from Nuri Martinez came out, immediately started shooting, essentially, uh, and saying, this is irresponsible. Like, this is no kind of profile and courage. They pointed out, you have been praising us for years, and now suddenly you want to, like, defund us? Like, what kind of hypocrisy in this? Fair point. I mean, the, uh, the speed with which they <laughs> responded indicates that yes. Martinez had sent it to them before she released it. But in fact, they said that she had not. Really? Uh, and said that they found out about it in a tweet. But uh, I think what it speaks to is the speed with which the leadership in the Police Protective League does speech to text <laughs> statement making, <laughs> which like makes sense when you read these things. They are extremely inflammatory. No one can top the police activities bureau or whatever in New York for just being like incredibly brutish in the way they uh, speak and like release statements and tweet and call the mayor's daughter a bitch and like all the other awful, awful things they do. But the LA uh, police protective league is exposing that aspect of themselves as well. And in this letter, they said, you know, Nuri Martinez has our number, but she didn't call it. Uh, next time she calls it for a concern about law enforcement in her district where we might not pick up. Yeah. We might I, be busy defending the people that are serving and protecting the city or whatever. Some Something that, that I had mentioned on, on Twitter earlier in this week was that there hasn't been a reason for the Police Protective League to yep. behave like this with elected mm-hmm. officials because there's been virtually no daylight in between what they want and what they get. So... Uh, the city council members have been to the to the extent that there has been popular anger about police and uh, and there have been times where where that anger has been quite evident over the course of the past decade city council has always held the line for them always until this week one reason this moment was really big is this was the really the first time that leader leadership in uh LA of of city electeds we're even acknowledging that the concerns that the protests were the protesters were talking about in LA were real at all. This was when the gaslighting kind of ended yes. and Garcetti did a show that night and talked about making 250 million in cuts including so 
So it's more than, yeah, it includes more than what they had said. Um, And he had just finished going through like the, that exactly the financials of it. And then I don't know where you guys were. I was standing in my kitchen watching this. Were you there? Were you down there? Were either of you out? Or Not then. All? And there is literally an earthquake that yes. <laughs> ripples through. Yes. <laughs> the entire Actual city. Earthquake. We, uh, an aftershock of the Ridge Quest, Ridge Quest. Nobody's earthquake early alarms worked again. Yeah. <laughs> A couple. Oh, I, of, I saw someone in downtown did get. Somebody got. Some people got the my shake, the state okay. ones, but not everybody, which is very confusing. But it was. It. I went back and looked at, and he didn't even like. He wasn't shaking when he was talking, but mm-hmm. later he acknowledged that there had been a major earthquake. Um, but it was pretty much actually right after he said what was going to happen. Like, the, just like you said, like the acknowledgement of yep. the pro of what was going on outside city hall, as he was standing there at that moment, um, there was an earthquake. <laughs> I mean, I, I have to say the, the $250 million thing, like so much, uh, of what Garcetti has been doing and his responses throughout this is, I mean, it's pretty hard. It's hard, hard to pin him down on what exactly it is that he's trying to achieve what he, says is you know where we've heard that we we want to cut the the police budget but then he's also saying that these cuts are coming from all departments yeah let's make let's try to make clear exactly what he's talking about because right. like deliberately uh there's like a veil of confusion yeah. over where exactly the money is coming from my understanding is that the 250 million includes the 100 to 150 million that was uh, motioned yep. uh, to cut from the LAPD by city council, and then a hundred plus million more from other departments undisclosed. That's as my yet. understanding as well. And I mean, we had already been talking about 10% cuts from every civilian department. Yep. Uh, furloughs for every civilian employee. And so the the response that we're going to add additional layers of cuts to those departments, along with a very meager, very modest cut to the police mm-hmm. department, is far from being acceptable. It's not right. it's, it's not really not yes. The number doesn't even sound sufficient when you say two hundred and fifty million dollars. It did, no. it, but to to also say that forty percent of that is going to come from departments that are not the police department, right, as people right. are demanding that you defund the police and re, reinstate services that have been cut to to very low levels is is pretty strange to me. And when it comes to the LAPD, even calling it a cut is kind of in a, like incorrect because right. it is they haven't had. It would just be it just getting it back to where it was for now and mm-hmm. not what it was supposed to be for next year. So yeah. it wouldn't, it's not even technically a cut. It's just, is not an increase or maybe is a slight right. increase, but that is actually right. something that a phrase Garcetti used on Wednesday night was we will not be increasing the LAPD budget. Uh, and he said, how can we in this moment? Right. How can we, which is like, well, how could you <laughs> two <laughs> moments you? ago? Right. <laughs> How could you a million moments ago when you were doing it and standing by it very, very aggressively? 
So when or, I say that I mean, the gaslighting ended, is that's actually not correct. It has continued. <laughs> the, the gaslighting continued. One, one thing we, got we didn't down. even mention. The gas got turned I, down. I mean, well, we, we need to get on to, to Thursday. But one thing that we didn't even mention yeah. was Monday was actually the day that city council allowed the, the Garcetti budget to yeah. go into effect. Right. Monday. Yes. But they it was all, not, yeah. it, this was not ancient history. It was That's after right. Fairfax. All, it yeah. was after downtown. They had all sent letters being like, oh, we were just kidding. We, <laughs> Monday really wasn't the deadline. Uh, we we never meant to, you to think that Monday was the yeah. deadline. And they, they might not have meant for that, but the city no. charter says it pretty fucking yeah, clearly. It <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they were kind of admitting what we all know, which is like this whole process is completely it's fake. We can do whatever yeah. we want. We but when they totally want to it. be hamstrung, they will point at the deadlines and yes. be like, there's nothing. The deadline already passed. There's nothing we can do. Thursday. Right. Thursday. These, So, you know, the ensuing days are not as eventful, but still extremely very eventful. <laughs> more more protests, protests in, in Burbank, like we said, uh, which uh, was a sundown town. And there was a lot of education to that effect uh, during that protest. There's another Gar- Gar- Garcetti show. Uh, and on that show, some important, not enough again, but some important reforms were made. The head of the L.A. Police Commission not the head, Steve Soberoff is the head, but like a member of the L.A. Police Commission came and spoke at the Garcetti show uh, and talked about some uh, immediate action that is going to be taken to reform how policing happens in L.A. Varying degrees of significance. Uh, they trotted out like bias training, which they always, always do and has been proven to not work at all. But an important Thing that was done is a moratorium on adding names to the Cal Gang database by LAPD. It is a moratorium, so that means that they can just revive it at, at any time. But this is something that Black Lives Matter LA has been advocating on for many, many years because the way the Cal Gang database works, people's names are added to this database without their knowledge. A lot of young people, like people who are underage, if LAPD decides that you are an associate of a gang. If you just happen to be hanging out with someone who is a gang member or even wearing like a certain type of clothing, you can be put in this database and not know that you're in it. And then if you get brought in on a traffic charge or something like that, or any other, uh, like like some other charge, your sentence can be increased significantly because of your gang affiliation. And you can be hit with, like such severe like possibilities of sentencing if you contest the charge that lots of people just end up going with. I mean, this is a database that has destroyed lives and a practice uh, that has completely been unregulated over the years and has been used with impunity by LAPD. So moratorium on that is a big deal. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, it's... I mean, we should completely be out of Cal Gang. We should stop doing it forever. But the mm-hmm. announcement that we are going to halt uh, putting new names into that is something that has been uh, called for by uh, police abolitionists for years at this point. Mm-hmm. It's it's a great step. Also on Thursday, a day after Sheriff Villanueva says that the curfews are going to continue until people stop protesting, they announce no more curfews. No more curfews. Uh, and it's fine. Everything and the whole city burned fine. down. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're we're only recording this Sunday. <laughs> right. On Friday, a few very eventful things. That was the day that Black Lives Matter sued LAPD 
for unlawful detainment of thousands of people, then this gets at something that like you talk about the, the sticker shock for overtime yeah. for LAPD. The amount of money that was paid out after uh, some Occupy Wall Street uh, protests in L.A. got a little bit mm-hmm. violent was in mm-hmm. like the 12 to 15 million dollar range. Quadruple that plus. I mean, like I, we could be getting into nine digit settlements for the amount of brutality that is on film from these protests. And that doesn't even account for the unlawful detainment. So like this is just going to be an incredibly expensive adventure for LAPD across the board. And we are going to pay for it. And Friday is the same day. It was interesting too, just going, coming from my uh, media criticism lens. Yeah. So ABC seven, again, which I just want to highlight because they have been, they, they actually had an interview where their anchor, Mark Brown um, talked about how he had covered 92 and he realized early on that they were, had a responsibility in covering what was happening in a way that was reflective of what was actually happening and also not pandering to this lens of violence and looting and mm-hmm. fires and everything, the, the narrative that you would think that the local media would adhere to. And they, he had talked about very early on about how they like corrected their early coverage and started bringing on people who talked more about trauma and talked more about um, what the organizers were trying to do, which was, it's really remarkable. And you can tell a difference when you watch that show. They circulated a clip of uh, people uh, getting beat by LAPD at the Fairfax protest that we had been talking about from the week before. And it was like a very smart thing to do just to bring it back into the dialogue and talk about how this was still happening. Even though things had gotten very peaceful, we shouldn't let them off the hook. And lo and behold, Friday, there was a clip and a lot of photos shown of a man in a wheelchair downtown um, who had been hit by, you know, there was tons of LAPD behind him. He had been hit by something. Um, He was bleeding. Um, And again, national headlines, both of that ABC7 clip of from the week before and also the man um, sitting in his wheelchair. So again, like bringing up the fact that yes, things were peaceful and bad, really bad things continue to happen into, into the next week and continue to happen. Yeah, that was, it's notable, right? That like clips and images from five or six days before really started going out uh, around like Friday, Saturday after leadership and after TV news media is kind of adjusting their framing, they're catching up on stuff that they hadn't really covered or mentioned when it was happening. Right. And at the same time, we still have maybe some of our local newspapers lagging when it comes to this as Hayes started calling out on Twitter, which was, I think, pretty, pretty swift and uh, an actionable change came out of what you were were talking about. Hayes. Well, I don't know how much of it came out of like what I was saying, but like, let's talk about what happened on Friday with our local yeah. newspaper, the, the L.A. Times and what had been happening throughout the week. So L.A. Times on Friday had uh, a cover story and a, a, an image on the front page that showed a black man looting a store. They also had looting uh, shown a picture from the that was from the 92 uprising, uh, but a picture of a black man looting on the front page on Wednesday. And on Monday, the headline, I don't know how many points the font is, but it was big, was, uh, big. was this was on Monday after days of very emotional protests of police brutality 
and some instances of looting and property destruction. The headline on Monday was looters rampage across region. And it was a picture of, it was another black man looking mournful, not in the act, like not shown in the act of looting. Like they did show on Wednesday and Friday, but standing in front of a smashed window with smoke coming out. So Friday, when I started like uh, posting about this was the third day out of five that looting had been all over the front page. And I had heard internally from multiple people, employees of the LA Times, frustration that they were being sent out to cover this much more aggressively than the actual protests. They, the LA Times, which has been in financial peril for a little while and has hired some like excellent reporters and like been sending them out to like get digital subscriptions mishandled this moment. And I think to what you were saying, Alyssa was actually behind TV news, yeah. which in yeah. Los Angeles, just maybe one channel, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in LA, that's not but where yes. you go for no. like Vanguard coverage no. of like yeah. an issue. And I started talking about this. And then at uh, I, the statement that Norman Perlstein, the executive editor, put out around like 4 p.m. that day, I think like it was too long to have been a reaction to what I had been posting about at like 10 a.m. or whatever. But it did sort of fold it in. And this was, that was a big day for LA Podcast. That was uh, baby's first scoop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we got our hands on uh, this statement. Uh, uh, Scott had hacked into their servers as uh, I do. just just been sitting there for for months and waiting for <laughs> something to of note to Created come like a fake LA Times email for yourself it's amazing <laughs> to Scott. come across the wire and we got this statement uh from Norman Perlstein the executive editor that I saw a range of reactions to but it was very notable in its language uh, did not really account for the recent coverage and the looting coverage, but spoke in pretty bald terms about the horrific racist legacy of this paper of the LA Times and not just how they have covered uh, residents, black and brown residents and demonized them and dehumanized them, which he, he did account for that, but also how they have failed their own uh, employees of color. Yeah, I found something that was so, so notable, um, you know, yeah, just saying that the burden of this has fallen upon the group of reporters that they have hired to kind of add this diversity, people from these backgrounds, but yet they are the ones who are responsible for making the changes. And mm -hmm. I think that is really what we've seen in a lot of other newspapers. It's been something that's been discussed um, talking about coverage and also uh, potentially really dehumanizing type of op-eds and other things that have uh, appeared in other publications across the country. Um, and you're starting to see a lot of those people stepping down. Like we had the New York yep. Times op-ed guy step down and the uh, head of the uh, editor-in-chief of the Philly Inquirer step down. And really that's kind of what we need to start happening I mean, at, mm -hmm. at a lot of different places. I, I, the, the response is the response letter is 
very notable. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, by, by most accounts, Perlstein seems to be a good editor, not just in comparison to the uh, the cast of scoundrels who have been running the LA Times, but like, uh, um, but seems to be generally well liked within the newsroom. But I mean, this this is I mean, the the, the letter is not sufficient to me because mm-hmm. it it spins it, it talks in in very plain, very eloquent language about the the history of the Times. But um, we're talking about decisions that were made this week, you know, like including this, the day the letter was posted. This is, this is not ancient history. And so, mm-hmm. um, I have so many questions about if you can speak as eloquently as Perlstein does to the issues of representation and the aim of the paper to cater to, uh, like the, the white panic narratives, that are are swirling all around the, these uprisings. If you can, if you can so clearly elucidate those threads at this particular moment, it does make me wonder what is stopping you from actually changing that. And when when the LA Times is putting out stories that are uh, actively turning demonstrations against police violence into very sensationalized reports on um, property damage. Mm -hmm. It is not only insulting, it it actively obliviates the the real concerns that are being uh, shared by people in this city, by Black Angelinos, by people of color, by victims of police violence writ very generally. And I think that this is a case where, as the LA Times wants to carve out a place for itself in the the future of this city, which is by no means a guaranteed thing. We we know that Mm -hmm. we have lots of very good journalists here who who live precariously because the, the industry is in a dangerous place. In order to do that, the the Times has to figure out why it is that it so readily removes itself from the community in which it exists in, in order to then look down and demonize the people that it, it could otherwise reflect the lives of. That, that might mm-hmm. be uh, a question that they need to ask more generally um, of themselves, I think, at this point in time. And that comes at the top level, though. I mean, that's exactly what needs to happen. You, that's it. What are you, you going to yep. say, Hayes? You were going to add to that? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, including their relationship with the police, specifically. We've talked a couple mm-hmm. times on this show how a lot of their crime reporting will just kind of passively report whatever the police tell them. We talked about after Melly Carrado was killed by police, the Trader Joe's uh, store manager, who we've talked about uh, extensively on this show. The LA Times published that she had been shot by the gunman inside the store. That was a quote. And never really accounted for how they were told that and by who and how they were going to reform their process going forward to stop that from happening because it was an incredibly damaging thing to, uh, to report in the, in the short term. Also, like cases like Victor Valencia, a homeless man who was mm-hmm. unarmed and murdered by police in Palms when the LA Times first covered it, they never even seemed curious about whether oh. he had a gun. 
And they just didn't mention it at all. Uh, more recently, uh, they published articles about... Uh, so on, on Monday, Hollywood, uh, the commander of the LAPD Hollywood division, Corey Palka, took a knee with protesters. And that was the beginning of a week of like being on the verge of just vomiting for me. Because this was the same officer who very shortly before we started this podcast, I had found following a lot of alt-right and figures and white nationalists on Twitter and has also shown with his like likes. He uh, likes a lot of anti Nancy Pelosi pro Donald Trump, even recently in the last like few days, likes a lot of Charlie Kirk tweets and stuff. And also in the LA times, his own paper bragged about ethnically cleansing his neighborhood uh, in an article uh, from 2017, I believe they ask him how uh, homicides in Hollywood have gone down. He said the decline of what I call neon club culture. We closed three clubs in Hollywood that were a magnet for the urban crowd of South LA, which is a invisibly veiled reference to, uh, to black people. Uh, and he went further of course, the the vast majority are good people. Sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> but with an urban crowd from South LA, you are going to have some gang members. That's just the facts. And by shutting down clubs where black people congregated, he said that's how he cleaned up Hollywood. And the LA Times, where this quote was published, not really with any fanfare at the time, published an article uh, saying a, a commander takes a knee in Hollywood and protesters cheer on Monday without looking through their own files about what this person's legacy is. Yeah, and talking of of op-eds that were uh, eyebrow-raising this mm -hmm. week, there was one by a former LA Times writer, Michael Kerkorian, who um, I think you said wrote the wrote the story that you're talking about. I right did not. Now. Yes. He, he, um, he wrote yeah. the story from 2017. Yes. But and has covered that. and has covered, um, you know, Watts and other, these, other these communities, um, for a long time, uh, is co-owner of Moza, which, uh, is there Moza Plex, the restaurant that is co-owned by, uh, Nancy Silverton, his partner who, uh, got very damaged in some of the looting mm -hmm. on, uh, Sunday, Saturday, yeah, Sunday, maybe, like um, let them write an op-ed that I, I think was meant to be somewhat sympathetic to the cause, but ended up kind of being another one of these really focusing too much on the looting when the looting is not really the message. Yep. And, also had this very troubling passage that a lot of the local food writers flag that was like, remember COVID-19, the Wuhan thing or something, which again. Yeah, the Wuhan China bat thing. Yeah, like just really insensitive language throughout. And again, like, why do we need to publish this? Why, why if we're taking op-eds from people who are being affected by what's happening or are out there fighting for the cause, um, the people whose wine cellar got smashed up mm -hmm. and got some wine taken out of it. Uh, it's maybe not who we need to hear from at this exact moment. Um, so again, I mean, they got rightfully called out by the food writers, but again, it's just this question. And not just food writers, Frank Xiong, yes, a columnist course, yeah. who covers Asian American identity culture, neighborhoods in Los Angeles said that he has been 
complaining about yeah. this for a very long time. Right. And it does not seem to be sinking. So again, these are just the same, the decisions that are being made by someone and, yeah. and by, you know, by not, by either, uh, not taking more actions to fix these things or actually address them. Um, it's a problem, but I will say today's LA times was quite beautiful. Yeah. The front <laughs> page was splashed with like people was. with their fists in the air and like righteous <laughs> protest. It does seem like yes. somebody got the message, at least in the yes. layout department. <laughs> We have a little bit of a window into what you were saying, Scott, how leadership is re is responding to the current criticisms. Uh, we've been told that the LA Times staff in their uh, Slack, their internal Slack, has been really having a vigorous debate where people are sort of airing out their feelings about the recent coverage and a lot of people raising very serious concerns about uh, how, and, and in particular, Black reporters uh, talking about how the coverage has been handled over the last week and a lot of criticisms. And uh, we've been told that Norman Perlstein uh, got into the slack for, I believe only the second time ever. And uh, his comment was, thanks for the comments over the past couple days. It would be helpful to get your thoughts with regard to whether we should have covered the taking of property from stores. And in some cases, the destruction of the stores. If so, what story should we have written? What headline should have gone on the story? And where should it have appeared? Print, digital, and video? If not, why not? I appreciate any and all feedback. And so surface level, that's like, we want your feedback and everything. But if you read into it, there's this weird phrasing of like, well, uh, I'll accept your feedback on whether we should have covered the taking of property from stores and in some cases, the destruction of stores. The, the undertone of that is like, so you thought we shouldn't, I guess you think we shouldn't have covered this at all. We shouldn't even mentioned it. Like, okay, like the destruction of stores, which no one is saying. Right. Right. And also going back to, if this bothers you, can you tell us the story we should have written instead? Yeah, please do the we work. We probably were telling you. Yeah. You were I listening. Think there were probably a, a, a thousand comments right before that one that was answering <laughs> the question that he asked. Also on Friday, the LAPPL kept at it. Uh, Scott, do you want to talk about the their conversation with Monica Rodriguez and what looked like an <laughs> abandoned warehouse? Yeah, so they met with Monica Rodriguez, councilwoman for the 7th District uh, and also chair of the Public Safety Committee and basically went in on her big time. Like they were saying that cops are the only things that are the only people that have stopped without the cops that the city of Los Angeles would have burned down uh, mm -hmm. this past week and that they are kowtowing to Black Lives Matter, which variously they disparaged as being unrepresentative of what the law abiding citizens of Los Angeles actually want. And, uh, and then they also said that they, the, the police that is feel like they have no choice but to go to the ballot and indicate their displeasure with the city councilwoman. So, I mean, first of all, I think it's a relatively well-known well fact that LAPD officers do not live in the city of Los Angeles. They, they appear to be saying that they are going to maybe not fund uh, the campaign of a Monica Rodriguez to the tune of $110,000 like they did in 2017. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But of course, they can't actually vote for her because they, they in large part, do not live in the city by 
design. And of course, on, on Saturday as well, with the, I think it was Saturday, with the uh, Police Protective League making a, a variety of comments about Eric Garcetti's mental health. Uh, yep. They really just continued on a a rampage where but they they are really just willing to burn every bridge uh, apparently mm-hmm. over um, over the prospect of I, I mean we we talked about this a little bit in our group chat what is the 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 play here uh, it seems like probably they're really scared of the politicians growing a spine and, and actually mm-hmm. taking larger amounts of money away from, uh, the LAPD. And so they are really clamping down as hard as they possibly can, uh, on the cuts that have been proposed, or like we, we were saying more like the plateauing uh, plateau in spending that was proposed. We're seeing what the council members were afraid of, right? What elected officials in LA were afraid of for the most part, council members don't have a constituency. They don't have like people, like residents who strongly support them for any like policy reasons. What they have are special interest groups that will fund their campaigns and get behind them if they fall in line. And the LA Police Protective League is one of those special interest groups and an especially generous one when it comes to funding independent expenditure committees. Uh, like you said, more a hundred thousand plus dollars for Monica Rodriguez, but almost every single council member took small donations from them. And almost all of them got 10 benefited from tens of thousands of spending Mm. to support their campaigns. Um, they also said to Monica Rodriguez that, uh, the city was giving $250 million to black lives matter, which we, uh, can uh, report on this podcast is not true. That money is not going to black lives matter. It is going to communities of color is all that they've said so far in Los Angeles. We'll talk about this more going forward, but eventually there has to be a bigger conversation over who is leading the LA Police Protective League. The president of the union is a guy named Craig Lally, who I found this week in an old article. I did not know this was one of the 44 officers uh, named in the Christopher Commission as a problem officer for having a history of misconduct. Seems like, I mean, the audience engagement team at the LA Times seems like something that they could have put up (laughs) this week. But also a guy named Jamie McBride was talking a lot. He's on the board of directors, was talking a lot about the mental health of Garcetti and vaguely threatening his uh, security detail being removed and things like that. He uh, was described as a very frequent shooter uh, when he was on the force from an LA Times article in 2004. Jamie McBride, if you see him, he looks exactly like a kind of thinner version of Stone Cold Steve Austin. He is, in fact, Steve Austin's half-brother. No way. What? Yep, that is true. Oh, my God. And is an actor himself, has played uh, both cops and criminals almost exclusively over the course of his acting career. But he also got in, uh, the article says, four shootings in five months. And uh, and six shootings total in his time on the force, which is a uh, very significantly high number. Right now, you're unable to look at who the board of directors is on the LA Pro- Police Protective League because that page has been deactivated from their site. But in general, this extremely powerful institution is going to require a lot more scrutiny from the people that live in this city. Mm -hmm. We will 
blow through Saturday and Sunday. There were many more protests all around the city. We'll have to talk about this in future weeks, but um, the coronavirus numbers remain about as high as they were, if not higher. The numbers have been going up there. That's probably going to be blamed on uh, protests, but in fact, it tracks much more closely with the reopening of business in in Los Angeles, we wouldn't really be seeing the effects of the protests. Right. You want to go two weeks back, which it hasn't been as much uh, that it hasn't, it hasn't fallen into that window yet. Right. Right. And on Sunday, we saw a an, another police killing in Los Angeles early in the morning in the city of industry by the sheriff's department. Uh, it was by the railroad tracks in the middle of the night. We'll see how much more comment we get on that. Probably not very soon. We also saw Mike Bond and council member Mike Bond and write a letter to police chief Michael Moore. First time any elected official has meaningfully addressed the rampant beatings and police brutality that we saw as a response to police brutality protests, asking him questions that essentially why this happened, why were officers shooting at people who were running away? Why was this level of force used in this situation? Uh, it, that this first motion uh, to do that one could say did not come quickly enough. And we also heard somebody on Twitter said that they called, for example, council member David Rue's office to ask him to do something about a police officer who was shown on video that went viral uh, running over a protester and then driving away. And the person who called was told that council member Rue couldn't do anything about it because it wasn't in his district. And so call the whose district it was, Councilmember Jose Huizar, who was not allowed to participate in council meetings at right. all because he's under investigation for corruption. So rather than address this, we saw them saying, because it's not in my district, I can't reference an almost police murder the, in the department that I oversee. And at the same time, Alyssa, talk a little bit about, let, compare it to what's happening in other cities, which is right, maybe like, a glimpse of what we can expect yeah. in the future. I mean, what we talked about, this is in a, in a similar time frame. Of course, this, their, their, um, the unrest began there sooner, um, in Minneapolis, but in this, in the same time frame of what we have been dealing with here, um, enough city council members have come forward in Minneapolis saying we are going to dismantle our police department and replace it with something different, something mm -hmm. that works, something that actually makes people feel safe. They've had, uh, people write op-eds about it. They've had people speak publicly with reporters about it. They've tweeted about it. And they said, as of Sunday, when we're recording this, they made an announcement that they have a veto-proof majority to bring it to council this week and and start passing really the 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 end of their police department, even though their mayor, who is um, one of, I think, these group of mayors who all think of themselves as very progressive when it comes to things like climate or mm -hmm. uh, other issues. He was at a, a rally yesterday where he came outside and and talked to people. And then they asked him point blank, would you uh, defund the police? And he said no and kind of got really humiliated. <laughs> I mean, I Scott, will you say how it was phrased by the... <laughs> yeah. What did they say the, the article you were talking about, Scott? So the New York Times referred to uh, Mayor Jacob Frey's walk of shame out of the, this intersection where he had said he didn't support defunding the police as, quote, humiliation on a scale almost unimaginable outside of cinema or nightmare. Which, which is... 
totally can't, cannot argue with that yes. at all. Tell the truth. And so, and I think the comment was in the the story of the, in the appeal that just came out on Sunday was like, yeah, another mayor said they wouldn't do this. And we said that they, we, we would get rid of them and, and we did. So I think the challenge from the city council is basically like, if you won't fall in line, this is what we're doing. And, you know, we're in control. And, and speaking of that too, like what other cities are doing, you do see this very incremental kind of, I think Mayor Breed in San Francisco announced something earlier this week. Um, Mayor de Blasio in New York, as I mentioned before, they've all made this list of concessions. A lot of these other mayors are uh, holding up this eight can't wait suite of reforms that's been put out there. Um, I saw another response to that. It's kind of like an abolish by eight or something like abolish can't wait. I don't know what it's called. So it's like a, it's like a, a response to that. That's basically like more in lines of you know, actually get rid of the police. So you're going to see, I think over the next week or two, maybe like a sense of competitiveness with mayors mm-hmm. to start to be like, who can, cause you know, they're all part of these coalitions, you know, they're part of these like climate consortiums and these other like democratic mayors for Biden or whatever, which we know that our mayor is like the head of all these things. Yep. So I think you might start to see some movement just based on what other cities are proposing and doing. But if Minneapolis can actually get this done this week and actually start to to say that this is possible, that might lead to more changes here. Who knows? Uh, Mayor Garcetti, make no mistake, if Mayor Garcetti wandered out into the street, he would be met with exactly the same treatment that Jacob Frey was met with. Oh, yeah. I mean, he did go to one. He did go to a protest. He stood in the middle with his L.A. Dodger logo mm-hmm. um, mask. And but he was like surrounded by, like you said before, I think all these like clergy members mm-hmm who maybe like formed a protective seal was, around yeah, him. Yeah, that was a, that was a photo <laughs> opportunity. That was yeah, not that a, wasn't like he was out there. That was not yeah. a protest, but I think reasonably you could say that the, the only difference between the, the mayor of Minneapolis and the mayor of Los Angeles is that Eric Garcetti is not going to put himself in the middle of 10,000 people who might mm-hmm. on a moment's notice, start chanting the word shame at him as he hangs his head <laughs> And does the Charlie Brown walk all the way home? (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of Minneapolis, there is still some evidence that our council members do not quite get what is happening in Los Angeles. Uh, Paul Koretz filed a motion that said to the to the protesters, you have been heard. The L.A. City Council is voting to condemn the murder of George Floyd which should have happened, right. should have been the absolute first thing that they did Thanks. and is Thank not you. something that anyone in the city is specifically calling on the LA city council to do. This movement has gone intensely local. Thanks to the work of black lives matter, Los Angeles that has said, you're mad about George Floyd. You are starting to understand uh, what has been inflicted on us and black communities in LA. Here is how you can plug in to do something about it. And here's what we're going to accomplish. That was the problem with eight can't wait. Eight can't wait flew in as a national movement. They talked about passing later reforms, five of which have already been passed in LA. You even had the police protective league saying we're already doing this stuff. So like, don't bring this, like we, we, this will not change our behavior (laughs) at all. And they, you know, eight can't wait. It seems like has been kind of quickly, Uh, dispensed with by local activists. And now the, the focus is again on what you were saying, Alyssa radically transforming what 
public safety looks like in the city and what the police department uh, looks like to the extent that it even exists at the end of this process. The other thing was called um, eight to abolition. Just so you know, I, I couldn't, yes. I can get the right name. Scott, what do you see coming? Uh, I mean, it, it, it it's hard to tell at this point. I, I think that um, council members, I, I, I think one of the things that I, feel very strongly is that our council members have been far too detached from everything that that goes on at the level of somebody who's actually experiencing life in Los Angeles. Uh, that's been the case for a long time. And I am hopeful that this starts to change now. I think it is really all entirely because of the rigorous uh discipline that Black Lives Matter has applied to these protests that we have not seen city council be able to evade the way that they clearly want to or the mayor. Uh, when when the protests first started, the entire message from City Hall was, what are you mad at us for? That mm -hmm. happened so far away. Uh, let's all be mad at the city of Minneapolis together. We can all be on the same yeah. side of this one. And it's really only because of that, um, the continued presence that Black Lives Matter has had in this city, that they weren't able to get away with that. There, that the the way that that could have been shut down, it, it wasn't allowed to. Uh, it wasn't allowed to stand. And so I think that what we're going to see is the the momentum continue to grow, especially with the latest news out of Minneapolis. Which um, I mean, for all that. Cities like San Francisco and uh, and Seattle, et cetera, get called uh, out as being more progressive than the rest of the country. Minneapolis, in a lot of ways, has been leading the pack before uh, before the George Floyd protests. That is doubly true at this point in time. I think that what is happening there is really setting the tone for what activists will view as possible. And I think that a lot of what we will see to come is that the the politicians are being forced to reckon with a new reality of actual expectations from their constituents. Some interim dominoes that you might see fall, That just to flag for this week, you're already seeing uh, petitions go out and movements for major city agencies to uh, cancel their contracts with the LAPD and other law enforcement. LAUSD, the school system, Metro, our transportation authority, and LASA, the homeless services uh, agency that does like a huge amount of collaboration with LAPD, a lot of movement already to cancel those contracts, which is defunding the police. They fund the LAPD as well. That is one thing to look at. We are guaranteed another very eventful, exciting week. Thank you so much for everyone who is listening, who is out there, who is participating in this process. Thank you for staying with us for this episode. Thank you, Scott and Alyssa, for hosting. Thank you, Brian Holmes, for producing these very long, unwieldy episodes <laughs> that we have been doing. Uh, we will be back next week on LA Podcast. Bye.